Welcome, everyone, to our next podcast on psychiatric medications for non-psychiatric providers. Today's podcast is going to be on part one of the tricyclic antidepressants, or the TCAs. I am Dr. Michael Lang, the chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at East Carolina University. With me, I have Dr. Monica Sharma, PGY2 internist and psychiatrist. Welcome, Dr. Sharma. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, in our previous episode, we looked at an introduction to antidepressants and discussed the art of choosing the ideal antidepressant for your patient. In our subsequent episode, we reviewed the first class of antidepressants discovered in the 1950s, the monoamine oxidase inhibitors, or MAOIs. We talked about how the classic, non-selective, and irreversible MAOIs were highly effective antidepressants, but carried a somewhat significant risk causing hypertensive crises with tyramine-rich foods. As a result, these older MAOIs were not well-favored and their initial popularity began to wane. But that begs the question, before scientists discovered selective MAOIs, which reduced this risk, what did people use to treat depression instead? Well, around the same time as the MAOIs were discovered, tricyclic antidepressants were also discovered serendipitously. And for a long time, up until the discovery of SSRIs in 1987, TCAs actually became the first-line drug of choice in treating depression. Uh, In 1958, while studying possible treatments for schizophrenia, Swiss psychiatrist Roland Kuhn found that although imipramine did not relieve psychosis and schizophrenics, as he'd hoped, it did improve their mood. Imipramine had a three-ring or tricyclic structure similar to that of the first antipsychotic discovered, chlorpromazine, but a simple substitution of nitrogen for sulfur in the central ring appeared to confer it unique antidepressant properties. Why were TCAs preferred over the MAOIs? Well, put simply, TCAs had a side effect profile that was considered to be more tolerable than that of MAOIs available at the time. They lacked the concern of hypertensive crises, like you said, and they didn't require the strict dietary restriction to minimize its risk. Therefore, it's no surprise that TCAs became the standard antidepressant of choice, at least until the advent of the newer antidepressants, which offered an even safer side effect profile. Although TCAs are no longer as commonly used today as as newer antidepressants due to their relative adverse effects, they continue to be valuable tools in the psychiatrist's arsenal due to their therapeutic efficacy. TCAs are great second-line agents for treatment of depression, especially treatment-resistant depression, and they have a wide range of additional indications, including anxiety, ADHD, neuropathic pain, and migraines, just to name a few. So how do tricyclic antidepressants work? How does their mechanism relate to that of other agents? As you recall from our discussion earlier on the biogenic amine hypothesis, both serotonin and norepinephrine are highly implicated in depression and anxiety. And facilitating the activity of these monoamines has been shown to have beneficial effects on the treatment of these mental disorders. While TCAs block the serotonin and norepinephrine transporters, and as a result, they, by blocking the reuptake of these monoamines, they increase the synaptic concentration levels of serotonin and norepinephrine, respectively. This mechanism of action is shared by one of the newer class of antidepressants, the serotonin and norepinephrine inhibitors, or SNRIs, which are the topic of a future podcast episode. 
most TCEs are, have weaker serotonergic activity compared to that of the SSRIs. They're also virtually devoid of dopamine reuptake blocking effects in contrast to the MAOIs, which we discussed earlier. As with most other antidepressants, TCAs have a delayed onset of action and their pharmacological effects have been shown to extend well beyond their immediate reuptake blocking effects and include uh, downstream effects on several pre- and postsynaptic receptors and second messengers. What are the different TCAs and how do they differ? TCAs are so named because of their common core structure, which comprises three rings. They also have an attached secondary or tertiary mean, which influences their affinity for each of these receptors. With the exception of doxepin and imipramine, which have relatively equal binding affinity and effect on serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake blockade, secondary means, uh, which are disipramine, nortriptyline, and protriptyline, have greater selectivity for norepinephrine reuptake blockade and are thus more potent noradrenergic agents compared to tertiary mean TCAs which are amitriptyline, clomipramine, doxepine, imipramine, and trimipramine, which have a higher selectivity for serotonin reuptake blockade and are more potent serotonergic agents. Uh, put simply, secondary means are more neuroadrenergic, whereas uh, tertiary means are more serotonergic. Compared to secondary means, tertiary means also have more antihistaminic, anticholinergic, and anti-alpha-1 activity. They also tend to have a greater severity and frequency of side effects, and as a result, secondary mean TCAs are often better tolerated because of, because of less sedation. In cases of initial treatment failure with TCAs, you can interchange between a tertiary and secondary mean, and that might be useful. Although, however, when you're determining the appropriate tricyclic regimen or alternation, um, it's important to note that tertiary means are, are also metabolized and demethylated into secondary means. In fact, disipramine is the major metabolite of imipramine and nortriptyline is the major metabolite of amitriptyline. How well do TCAs treat depression? Like we discussed earlier, all drug classes of antidepressants are are about equally effective overall, with response rates ranging from 60 to 80 percent. Several studies suggested TCAs may be superior to neuroantidepressants in the treatment of more serious and melancholic types of depression. TCAs are also commonly prescribed for uh, treatment-resistant depression that has failed to respond to therapy with newer agents. They tend to have fewer sexual side effects than SSRIs, but they do have more potent side effects, specifically antihistaminic and anticholinergic side effects. And as a result, they have an inferior safety and tolerability, which make them less favorable as first-line agents. What other indications are TCAs used for? TCAs are commonly used for treatment of neuropathic pain as well, and as well as headache due to their neuroadrenergic effects. And this efficacy is actually achieved at lower doses than their antidepressant dose. Their efficacy in treatment of neuropathic pain is equivalent to that of SNRIs, which we discussed they share the mecha, uh, they share me- uh, mechanism with, as well as um, antiepileptic drugs, gabapentin and pregabalin. TCAs are also effective in treating panic disorder, several other pain syndromes, and migraine prophylaxis. Clomipramine is the only TCA not approved for depression, but is approved for treating OCD. This effectiveness uh, or the effectiveness of clomipramine in treating OCD is likely due to the high serotonin, uh, serotonin selectivity of the drug as a tertiary amine. But its utility is limited because effective doses are very high and, and not well tolerated. Imipramine is approved for treating aneurysis, likely due to its anticholinergic effects. It's also effective in treating generalized anxiety disorder. Doxepin is the most potent TCA, uh, most potent H1 receptor antagonist and is also approved for treatment of anxiety. 
Other common but non-approved uses also include treatment of insomnia, especially with amitriptyline and doxepin, and headache, most commonly with amitriptyline, imipramine, and doxepin, and agoraphobia with panic attacks, particularly with imipramine and clomipramine. How are TCAs taken and metabolized? TCAs are rapidly uh, absorbed after oral administration, and they have a large distribution volume, which is to say they have a propensity to leave the plasma and enter extravascular tissues of the body. As a result, a higher dose is required to achieve a therapeutic plasma concentration. In addition, all TCAs are extensively metabolized and inactivated by cytochrome P450 2D6 hepatic enzymes. But this process varies widely among patients. In fact, among individuals on the same dose of TCA, there's a 30-fold difference in plasma levels. Approximately 5 to 7% of the Caucasian population is deficient in this enzyme and are slow metabolizers, leading to increases in blood concentrations and accompanying toxicity with TCAs. Metabolism is also decreased in the elderly, and they tend to be slow metabolizers and are at greater risk of TCA toxicity as well. A few patients are actually fast metabolizers and have difficulty attaining therapeutic levels of the drug. Fortunately, the vast majority of patients actually fall in the middle. Since TCAs are metabolized by cytochrome P452D6, are there any drug-drug interactions we should keep an eye out for? Yes, there are are many. Inducers of that enzyme, uh, cytochrome P452D6, such as nicotine, barbiturates, dilantin, tigatrol, carbamazepine, they all increase the breakdown of TCAs. And consequently, patients on these agents may require uh, an increase in their dose. In contrast, medications that inhibit this enzyme, such as antipsychotics, SSRIs, methylphenidates, cimetidine, oral contraceptives, disulfiram, they all slow the metabolism of TCAs and as such increase their plasma levels. So clinicians should, be, uh, should keep in mind these medications when prescribing TCAs, especially SSRIs as they're potent competitive inhibitors of this enzyme um, and can substantially increase TCA levels. So how is their side effect profile? TCAs are often considered to be dirty or sloppy drugs in the sense that they have non-selective effects on a variety of receptors, excluding serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake transporters. TCAs cause sedation and possibly weight gain by blocking H1 receptors and thus are and thus should be used cautiously in the elderly population, which is at risk of falls. TCAs also reduce acid production by blocking H2 receptors and promote healing of peptic ulcers. Their anticholinergic effects are more harmful in the elderly and should be avoided or used cautiously, at least in um, at-risk populations. Their most common anticholinergic effects are dry mouth, constipation, urinary hesitancy, blurred vision, and they can precipitate delirium, especially in the elderly. TCAs may also cause an increase in intraocular pressure, which can exacerbate narrow-angle glaucoma and so should be avoided in patients with a history of known glaucoma. TCAs also have um, alpha-adrenergic effects and can cause orthostasis and tachycardia. Orthostatic hypotension occurs most frequently with amitriptyline and is of greatest concern, again, in the elderly. Other side effects include sexual dysfunction, impotence, and seizures, but are much less likely. Cardiac conduction abnormalities are a concerning one because most TCAs are actually sodium channel and calcium channel blockers and can behave like class 1A antiarrhythmics, decreasing cardiac contractility and causing QT prolongation and electro EKG abnormalities. How do you manage these side effects? In those with comorbidities, some side effects may not be controllable. 
A general principle is that certain side effects such as depersonalization, confusion, orthostatic hypertension, and sedation can be avoided by gradually increasing the dose. They can also be ameliorated by decreasing the dose as well. If you're dealing with sedation or other anticholinergic side effects, another reasonable approach is to switch to disipramine since it's a secondary mean associated with greater noradrenergic effects and as such is more activating with less of the anticholinergic effects. If a patient develops orthostatic hypotension, switching to nortriptyline would be beneficial as nortriptyline tends to cause orthostatic hypertension at levels above its therapeutic window. Because of this, nortriptyline is actually used successfully in post-stroke geriatric patients with depression. Urinary hesitancy, dry mouth, blurred vision, constipation, and other anticholinergic side effects can be mitigated by giving a muscarinic agent such as bethanicol. Those doing well in maintenance TCA treatment may also require a change in their eyeglass prescription to accommodate for the blurring vision. If you suspect delirium is uh, secondary to the anticholinergic effect of TCAs, you can confirm and treat this by administering physostigmine, which is a centrally acting muscarinic. Weight gain can be substantial and is thought to be due to the TCA's antihistamine effects causing increased appetite and food intake. Weight gain is particularly prevalent with amitriptyline and doxepine and is more difficult to control. Despite switching the TCAs, these patients often continue to gain weight and thus switching to a newer antidepressant such as Welbutrin or Bupropion might be the only way to promote weight reduction. If they continue to gain weight, they should be supported and counseled on dieting. If there's significant sedation, you can add modafinil. Dr. Sharma, that has been a fantastic first start to our tricyclic antidepressant discussion. I think we'll stop here and pick up next time for part two. Thank you so much. Sounds good.